Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady, and welcome to show number 10 of You Are the Guest, a show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and the issues of the day. Our guest today is from Los Angeles, California. Chance, welcome to the program. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm wonderful. Great. Tell me about yourself and, and tell me about the things that you do. Well, uh, I'm a uh, solo artist. Um, I record everything myself at home. I'm an independent artist. And um, I don't know, I just, uh, I write songs, I record them, and I want people to enjoy them. Because that's it in a nutshell. Are you originally from Los Angeles? No, actually, I, I grew up in Orlando. So I came out to, uh, you know, for the proverbial pot of gold a few years back, and I've uh, been just kind of toiling away in the Los Angeles industry ever since. So what's been your first impression of the Los Angeles music business? Well, um... I guess you could say it's the same as any other music business. It's just, I mean, the funny thing about the music business is it's very, very wild, wild west. There are very few rules apply, and any time a rule does apply, then it gets broken at the very next day or morning. And, um, I mean, I've, I've kind of heard just about everything, and nothing surprises me anymore. Um, or uh, I guess you could say nothing shocks me anymore. Um, but, you know, I mean, I guess it's just, it's just a big pond. And that was the difference, at least when I moved between Orlando and Los Angeles. I just would rather, I would rather be a small fish in a big pond than a big fish in a small pond, you know, because that way I can grow. So what was the biggest surprise? I guess, you know, you, you, you sometimes can be a little struck at the audacity of people, <laughs> at least in the industry. Or at least the and, bluntness of everybody? No, not so much the bluntness, just the... Uh, uh, how how could you possibly sleep at night after doing such a thing? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, at least at, at first, it was more along those lines. There's not too much idealism idealism left in, uh, in rock and roll or in anything in the music industry. There's a little bit, but it's far and few between. So do you come from a musical family? No, actually. Um, I was the uh, I was the first of my kind when I was seven. My mom looked at me and said, do you want, actually it was both my parents, they looked at me and they said, do you want to, do you want to play piano? Do you want us to buy you a piano? Well, I looked at it as, sure, if you're buying me something, I have no problem with that. So, uh, you know, about a week later, the movers came in and moved the piano in and, and I go, okay, that's really cool. I'll see you later. And I started to walk out like I was going to go play outside, right? And um, she goes, oh, no, no, you have to practice every day. Your, your lessons start on Saturday. So um, I, I was I guess you could call that a bit of a shock. So started lessons. I started half an hour a day every day, and my mom was a taskmaster. I mean, she was very, very meticulous about me practicing every day. And the days that I didn't practice, because let's say I had soccer practice or let's say I had too much homework, she would tack it on to the next day. So when I started having to practice an hour and a half a day, if I missed one, it was up to three hours the next day, and sometimes my my weekends were lost, you know? But I think what ended up happening is I really developed a sense of discipline, and I don't regret a second of it. She taught me to focus, and I'll never forget that, you know? 
So what was the first song that you ever wrote? Hmm, I guess the first song I ever wrote was a cheeseball tune called Alone in the Darkness, maybe when I was 17. And to any fan who's listening to this, no, it's not available. <laughs> you can't find it anywhere on the Internet. No. No, no, no. It's horrible. So I'll leave it at that. Do you remember the first CD you ever bought? The first CD I ever bought, uh, that would be The Cure Disintegration. Absolutely do remember that. What's the top story in Los Angeles today? Well, I mean, I, I, certainly Katrina's on everybody's mind. Um, but there's uh, a little bit of, actually, I was just reading an article today about the, uh, the fact that there's a bunch of uh, very, very old school levees that allow Southern California to get the water from up north, because that's actually where we get our water from. And I was reading an article about how they might try to make a canal to go around the levees, but it was a real kind of controversial topic when it was first brought up, and the voters turned it down back in, like, 1982. So now it might, they might bring it up again. I, I guess you could say that's some of what's being discussed. Another thing, too, is they've, for the last, like, five or six years, they've really started to develop downtown. Um, downtown, in a lot of ways, similar to myself growing up in Orlando, you just didn't go downtown after 5 o'clock. And same here in Los Angeles. Um, and you're just finding more and more stuff there. Ever since they moved the, uh, the Lakers downtown instead of in Inglewood, now downtown is just thriving. And they have all these new projects set up, these new development projects that are really supposed to just open it up. And I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of that. I, I like the liveliness of New York, and I, I think Los Angeles could be capable of having something like that. So Governor Schwarzenegger has announced his re-election bid. How are people seeing that in L.A.? Uh, I think with, uh, with a bit of a snore. You know, I mean, I didn't vote for him only, and not because I was a Gray Davis fan, but only because uh, I believe unless there's malfeasance involved, uh, you shouldn't do mob rules when it comes to the election. And if someone's elected to office for four years, he should serve his four years. And, you know, um, and I would feel the same way if, if uh, Schwarzenegger was duly elected for a full four years, no matter how much I liked or disliked him. Same with Bush. No matter how much I liked or disliked him, they've been... They serve four years, and they do their time because um, the electorate has spoken. If we went on a mob rules mentality where we had special elections, anytime somebody pissed us off, well, that would just be sort of a, 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 the rule of anarchy, in my opinion. Um, so I think what's funny about uh, Arnold deciding to uh, run again, not so much deciding to run again, deciding to choose to announce his re-election bid at a time when he has a lot of stuff on the ballot, shows a bit of weakness on his part. You know, that he has to sort of invigorate his base and go, oh, I'm going to still be around. And I don't know, it just, it just smacks a politico that sort of, I don't know, recently I've become very, very turned off to. From satellite television, I get some of the California stations, and it looks like the governor has just taken a hit from the firefighters and the teachers on a daily basis. Yeah, recently, I mean, the teachers union here, from what I understand, they're supposed to be really powerful. And same with the nurses union, the firefighters. And, you know, it's it's just, I hate to say it's hilariously ironic, because the bottom line is, regardless of who's right and who's wrong and all this, it's the voters and the people of California who are getting screwed here. But, you know, Schwarzenegger comes in with every, with any sort of uh, political 
cloud that he had going, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that, but he, but he adopted a very confrontational style, um, not unlike uh, our president. Um, and he, he, just, he likes to bash people. And, okay, he might on the, uh, at, at the root of it all be saying some truth, but it's just in the way you couch it, and he's just pissing off a lot of people. So he's exactly at the same approval ratings that the guy before him was, and he had a special election to get him thrown out. So it's just sort of silly that, that I guess Schwarzenegger adopted the same tone, but just from a different platform or a different party, so to speak. You know, I, I believe that you should I, – I really uh, I would prefer to, that people adopt more of a centrist policy where they came in and – said, listen, you know, it's not so much can we get along, but can we do this right? And the only way we can do this right is getting a majority opinion, which is right down the middle, you know. The heck with the extremists on either side, is my opinion. That's a very good point. You, you talked about the top story in L.A. being that of Katrina. So so what is what are people's views of both what happened as far as the weather and the tragedy there and also the a relief effort afterwards? Well, I've grown up in Florida, so I, I understand hurricanes. I lived through two or three of them myself. Um, uh, my mother's from Honduras, and there's been a couple of hurricanes ravage her home country. So I understand what hurricanes do, and I don't take it lightly, which is kind of funny that I decided to move to a state that has earthquakes. But I guess that's me digressing a little bit. Um, it's pretty obvious that I think at all levels people just completely fouled this up. Um, it's not just Bush. It's not just Mike Brown. It's not just Nagin, the mayor. Um, it's it's everybody. They just screwed up, and and it frightens me that that with Homeland Security and FEMA being folded into Homeland Security, you know, under under the Clinton years, um, I think his name was James Lee Witt. That guy had it nailed. Um, you know, I think they they learned from Andrew. There was a lot of mistakes done in Andrew when Andrew decimated large portions of Miami. But, you know, they figured it out. They did Northridge. When we had our, earth, our, our earthquake in, in 1994 in Northridge. Honestly, Bill, it's the most frightened I've ever been in my entire life. You know, that's 30 seconds. Um, I didn't think I was going to die, but I seriously saw it as a possibility, you know. And... But, you know, FEMA came in, and they did right. You know, the whole city just, uh, we, we just, we were reinvigorated in a lot of ways. We, we came together. We went downtown. We went to places that were trash. I, I lived six miles from the epicenter, you know. So um, to have it just, where it, I mean, two days after the hurricane, or the day after the hurricane quit, or, or kick, kicked in, you know, Bush is having fundraisers in in san diego and and the fema guy didn't even pay attention you know i mean i i, I just think it was just messed up from day one and then i hear uh, more recently that nagan had the opportunity to get a bunch of people on a bunch of buses that were sitting around now or underwater but were sitting around at the time that he could have at least evacuated people i mean this is life and death here and everybody said it was a category five i mean it's like these guys weren't even turning on the news and that and that's frustrating uh, as a voter, as a citizen, as a taxpayer, that's frustrating. I have also lived through a tornado, so right. I, you know I know what that's like. And in in my neighborhood, you know, our house was just, was destroyed. The the neighborhood was destroyed. We had to deal with looters. We had to deal with the national guard, and that was something that you had about 
five minutes warning with hurricane right. hurricane katrina you know they were yeah. talking for days they had at least 48 hours hell the earthquake i had i had zero seconds bill i i was i was a uh poor starving musician at the time as opposed to just a slightly poor slightly starving musician now and i was sleeping on a single mattress on the floor and I couldn't even lift. I barely got into the kneeled, crouched position. That's how powerful this thing was. I couldn't even get to the door jam to stand in the door jam. That's what they all tell you to do, right? So I totally understand what you're saying. You know, we and it's just it's shocking. And 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 it's not. I, I don't blame the people at all because if there were a bunch of buses sitting around, they could have gotten them out. You know, I, I blame I blame government. I think they messed up. Back to music. Tell me about the audition process for Velvet Revolver. <laughs> Velvet Revolver. Well, um, I had a uh, friend of a friend who was a manager who I think was somewhat involved with them. This was even before they had a name. And they uh, somehow, this particular friend just happened to be playing my old band's music in his management office and Duff. McKagan, the bass player, came in and goes, holy hell, who's this guy? And so um, I get a call Sunday night. I'm lying down on the couch, just kind of basically about to doze off. It's about 10 o'clock at night. And he calls me up and goes, do you want to audition for Slash, Duff, you know, and all these guys? And I go, well, I'm kind of in another band. Because, I mean, I, I'm not the kind of guy to just sit here and jump shit. Um, and he goes, well, you can do both at once. And I went, you know what, just do it so I can call my friends in Florida and, and giggle about it. You know, I, I didn't really care whether I made it or not. I, I know a lot of people won't believe that, but um, it's true. I just thought it would be kind of fun. So um, he goes, I have four pieces of music, and there's no lyrics, there's no melodies. And mind you, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday, and he lives up in Van Nuys, and, or at least he works up in Van Nuys, and I'm down in Los Angeles, which is, you know, about a 30-minute drive with no traffic, 25-minute drive, right? So he goes, why don't you come on up and grab the CD because they'd like to audition you on Thursday. <laughs> I just started laughing. I'm like, are you kidding me? I have to come up with lyrics and melodies to four songs? But that's what they wanted to do, and I went, all right, sure, whatever. It, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't time critical. So I got the uh, CD. I started listening to it. I actually did like the songs. Um, and I, I wrote some, uh, some, what I thought were fun melodies and, uh, lyrics to it. And, uh, I guess Thursday they had to delay the audition. I was auditioning on Friday and, um, that was it. That was it. So, uh, I guess six months later, you know, they, they get Scott Weiland or whatever. And I hear a fr friend of mine calls me up and said that, that the guys from Velvet Revolver were talking about me on KLOS, which is a big station here in Los Angeles. And I just had to laugh, and I couldn't figure out why. And apparently, they really liked my voice. They really uh, liked the melodies that I've written, but they just didn't think that the chemistry was there. And I suspect it's because they're a little more 80s rock, and I'm a little more, I guess you could say, 90s rock, you know? So that's, that's, that was the extent of it. I mean, it was fun. They were very nice guys. Um, and I was actually really shocked and surprised at how amazingly tight they were. They were solid, solid, solid. So what you hear on the album is actually the way that they play it. Pretty much. 
As a matter of fact, the music that they gave me was live at their rehearsals, and it sounded recorded. Wow. It sounded, it sounded tracked. It was phenomenal. Um, and in terms of performance, just amazing. Tell me about uh, any celebrity stories you can tell. Oh, hmm. I don't know too many. I guess uh, I met Jack Lemmon at, uh, at the dog park. <laughs> was he a cool guy to meet? Yeah, he was real nice. He was he's a lot older than he suspect, you know, at the time. It was just uh, maybe I guess five or six years ago. He hadn't passed away yet. And I guess my first impression of him was he just he looked old. Um, or older than I thought he looked, you know. Um his dog actually introduced himself to my dog and then that's how we sort of ended up saying hello and I just said, Hi, my name is Chance and he goes, Hi, I'm Jack And we I think we talked film for like uh, thirty minutes and he just kinda walked away and kept playing with his dog and that was about it. Time for the final five questions. What sports franchise could LA live without? The Lakers, the Dodgers, the Clippers, or the Kings? Um Well it's a knee-jerk reaction to say the Clippers, but the Clippers weren't half bad last year. Uh, but the Kings, they've got, I mean, they've at least been to the finals a couple of times, or at least once, um, and Gretzky played here. I don't know. I mean, hockey's in a weird position right now. It's sort of, it's it's definitely not an A-tier sport, or hasn't been in a long time. Um, so I guess, I, <laughs> I have no idea. I guess I would say the Kings. What's your favorite thing to cook? What's my favorite thing to cook? Uh, anything and everything. I love French food, um, uh, Spanish food, you know, any kind of Latin food. Um, and uh, I guess my mom's arroz con pollo, which is chicken and rice, is a pretty amazing dish. I'm actually making that tonight. What's the best L.A. night spot for hanging out? Well, I mean, mm, I guess there's, few that I like. I guess if you're seeing a band, there's a place called The Gig that I adore. Um, the people who work there are amazing people and kind of make you keep the faith that uh, people are actually in it for music and not just money and uh, draw and stuff like that. Um, and then there's, uh, there's a restaurant that uh, my wife loves called El Coyote. <laughs> And, you know, honestly, I just enjoy hanging out with her. So it's fun to go there. It's, it's really, well, I'm going to piss off a lot of Los Angeles, a lot of Angelinos here. I think it's really bad Mexican food. But the margaritas are so good. By the time you're halfway through your margarita, it becomes really good Mexican food. I have no idea why. It just does. And it's very lively and enjoyable. And I guess that would be my answer. Tell me about the L.A. band scene. Yeah, the L.A. band scene is, uh, is almost, it's, it's existent and non-existent at the exact same time. There are thousands and thousands of bands who play here, and none of them know each other. Um, it, and, and I don't mean to sound pessimistic, because there are little pockets of possibilities. You know, there's a little songwriter genre that sometimes seems to circulate, and they'll play like the same two or three clubs, um, but they won't go see the rock bands. And the rock bands won't go see them. And the, even within the rock band genre, there is no real definitive, like, I know this guy, this guy, and this guy, you know? I mean, I could sit here and tell you a couple of bands that are friends of mine, but I don't go see them, not because I don't like them, not because I don't support them, but because it just seems like, as disconnected as this town is, you don't end up supporting each other because you're so busy trying to keep your head above water, 
just to support yourself. If I were to say, a, you know, one of my friend's bands is a band called Safety, you know, uh, a really cool band, or a band called Ragsy, or uh, this singer-songwriter named uh, Sally Smithwick, or uh, this uh, crazy comedian guy named Sexy Sexy Joe Lavelle, or or uh, my fa- one of my favorite uh, kind of trip-hop uh, techno guy uh, named RV or Sebastian Cesare. He goes by alternate egos. Um, I mean, these are all guys that I like, but it's kind of like my version of iTunes, you know? It's like they're far and few between. They're, they don't really connect together, you know? So tell me about the biggest misconception about Hollywood. Um, I think the biggest misconception about Hollywood is that all it does is party all night long. You would be surprised at how quickly this town goes to sleep. It's shocking. You go to you go to New York. You go to or, or, or you just, let's just let's just use New York as an example. When you're in New York, if you want to go eat Thai food at three o'clock in the morning, you can go eat Thai food at three o'clock in the morning. If you want to go to a speakeasy kind of party, you can do that, and it seems lively. Here, I swear to you, at midnight, it just all falls apart. And I, honestly, and sometimes 11 p.m. I'm not saying that there's not stuff open. I'm not saying there's not stuff available. It's just as a vibrant scenario, it kind of just goes, ah, I got to get up in the morning, you know? Sounds like a big, small town. It's, it's very much like that. It really is. The, and I think it's just because of the space. We're not piled up on top of each other. So you have a lot of pockets that can really be like a little town. You know, like I have a friend who lives in Studio City. Well, Studio City is technically just 20 minutes away if there's no traffic. If there's plenty of traffic, it could be 45 minutes away, an hour away, you know? And they're on the other side of the mountain. So to me, they're like, ah, you're you're, you're in the valley. I'm not going to go out there. It's just because it's the distance that kills us. You know, my best friend lives down in Orange County. You know, that takes, with good traffic, an hour to get there, you know? So it's difficult to connect. Let's go ahead and play Ask Bill 3. This is where we turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. So okay. fire away. All right. Let's see what I got here. All right. Here's the, here's the question and the, and the point and then the question. One thing in your life that you believe everyone in the world you will ever meet should at least try. In other words, you have one recommendation to give that you've already done and no one else has. What is it? Um, I'll, I'll answer it in two parts because I think one is kind of self-serving and, and you know, one is another way that, that changed my life. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm a big motorcycle fanatic. So for, okay. me, for me to be on a motorcycle at about 165 miles an hour, everybody should try that at least once. Exactly. There you go. That's perfect. Now, here, here's my other question, and this is something I – or not so much a question, but my other answer, and that is when I was just starting off in the, in the, in the radio business, I joined the local JCs. Okay. And one of our things that we did was we did this promotion called Coats for Kids. And what okay. we did is we, we collected coats from stores and organizations – for kids that couldn't afford new coats for the winter time, I still remember the faces on those kids as they got new coats, right. and how big of a deal that was to have a new coat for the winter time right before Christmas. So, right, 
So I think everybody... You know what, what's, what's a fascinating thing for me when it comes to charity is a lot of people think that it's selfless activity. I don't believe that it's selfless at all. I think it's both selfless and selfish. I get a kick out of doing things for other people. Why not? Yeah. Why, why can't I feel happy doing this? And, and a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to do charity. It's a pain in the ass. Well, yeah, it might be a pain in the ass, but, dude, you get so much out of it. What's number so, two? Uh, so then we move on to the second one? Number two. Okay. What is the one thing in life you could have gotten in trouble for that you didn't do, but now, looking back, you wish that you went ahead and done it. Here I mean the concept of regret when it comes to bending or breaking the rules. The funny thing that that comes to mind is that I, I really can't think of, of too many regrets. I think, uh, you know, if, if I think about, you know, a couple of things like, well, you know, I should have done this or, or shouldn't. My, my mantra in life is always I, I'd rather be sorry for something that I did do instead of something that I didn't do. So in a way, it's kind of worked the opposite. I've, I've, I've probably been more regretful for the things that I've done as opposed <laughs> for the things that, that I didn't do. Right. Um, it's character right there, you know? Yeah. So, so I really can't tell you that I, ha- I have many regrets of just saying, boy, I wish I would have you know, gone out on a limb and, and done that because right. I've actually gone out on the limb and, and done that. And sometimes you, you, you know, get the, your butt kicked and you go, okay, that let's not do that again. Right. 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 That's interesting. That's a good, that's a good answer. All right. So, uh, number three, you ready? Fire away. Okay. Give me three words to describe your personality or your character. And of these words, which of them trace to your father and which of them trace to your mother? Three words would be, Loyal, loving, and who does that trade to? And who caring. Does loyal trade to? Um, it actually goes to both parents. Um, okay. My my parents were were very instrumental in my life. Um, they were they're incredibly good parents. My my father's passed away, but my mother's still living, uh-huh. and uh, you know both of them to this day are are strong influences. So right. um, I you know every once in a while. I, I will get something that get, slaps me in the face and says, okay, that's your mom talking. Yeah, or, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at, is that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, here, here's what I, what I find. Um, I, I think that uh, you know both my parents were loyal. I, I think that both of them were caring, and, and both of them were, were very loving. Um, but every once in a while, I will catch myself uh, – Probably the mannerisms of my dad come back to me more often, and maybe it's because of his passing right. that, that I notice it more. For example, I, I, I never quite saw the, the resemblance between my father and I when he was alive. Wow. But, but I start seeing it now in the mirror, and it is that I have my father's eyes. Wow. And so, you know, the, the old thing is, if you want to see your dad, just go look in the mirror. Wait a few years too. <laughs> exactly, and then every once in a while, I'll, I'll catch myself in a catchphrase or, or saying something. And I go, "Okay, who does that sound like?" And, and right. it, it's it's more more my dad. Both my parents had had a strong influence, but as my mother would say, "You are your father's son." Right, right. 
That's interesting. You know, it's funny for me. I, I, I have to approach it differently. And the reason is, is because I'm adopted. So the only impact my parents can have is sociological, you know. And, um, but not necessarily so. Um, sometimes when I find myself getting angry and I grit my teeth a certain way, that's how my dad would grit his teeth when he was angry with me. So you learned things from your adoptive parents. Yeah, oh, absolutely. 100%. The way my dad smiles when it's kind of like a half smile, that's, that's, that's him. That's, I, I do that. You know, and I'll catch myself laugh or smiling that way, and I just my my mom's laugh absolutely that's, I get it from her. You know, you are the her, her sort of spirit and enthusiasm totally get it from her. You are the the child of the people that raise you. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Deep stuff, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> Very deep. And on that note, <laughs> that's right. Let's let's talk about. Uh, your new single download, let's talk about how people can, can find your new music and, and where they can go to find it. Tell a little bit about the song. Well, um, my latest is a song called Man on a Mission. Um, but I do have another one coming out in about, oh, hopefully a week. I try to release my singles once a month or once every three weeks, something like that. And uh, that one I haven't released the name of just because all my fans on my message board really want to know, so I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> I'm just playing with them right now. Um, but you can go to MyNameIsChance.com, which is my uh, my official website. And uh, I have a store there where you can download all of my singles for a dollar. Or um, after I get five singles, I, I basically comp compile them and release a CD. So I have uh, two CDs out. One of them is called One Through Five, and yep, the second one's called Six to Ten. So um, you can check those out. And then once I get to 15, I'll be releasing the third one. So I'm on my 11th single right now with single number 12 coming out in a week or so. Let's talk about the world premiere of the songs that we're going to be playing. And also let's talk about the simulcast that's going to be coming up on October 9th. How did you come up with the idea for the simulcast? Well, you know, I was always a big fan of Live Aid. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of a simulcast. You know, so I went, hey, why don't we do this for podcasting? Let's try this for podcasting. So I literally, just from a very, very organic level, I, I called, not called, but I uh, emailed um, a couple of podcasters that I knew that were already supporting my music and kind of asked them, hey, what do you think about me doing something like this? Has it ever been done? And they both wrote back and go, hey, that's a, that sounds fun. And let's, let's, yeah, sure. So um, in July... I performed um, at that club I was telling about called The Gig. And me and my backing band, The Choir, uh, we performed a 45-minute set. And I, I ended up getting a really good recording of it. So uh, October 9th um, will be the very first, the, ver the world historical first uh, simulcast concert podcast. And right now we're up to 33 uh, podcasters and internet radio stations who are taking part, and um, on on the ninth they will all release or stream the music at the same time. I haven't figured out the, the time exactly because a couple of the podcasters are in, say, New Zealand, one of them is in Scotland, and um, the rest are sort of Canada and the United States. So 
I kind of want to make sure that everyone gets a fair shot. I, for podcasting, it doesn't really matter so much because you, you can subscribe to iTunes and get it whenever you want. But um, with the uh, Internet radio stations that are doing it, um, I kind of want to time it to where it works for everybody, you know. The two songs that we have today are actually world premieres because these are actually live cuts from that concert. Uh, we've right. got Forgive and Forget and Hip Hop High. So tell me about those two songs. Uh, Forgive and Forget is an up-tempo tune and, um, and self-explanatory, very sort of pop-oriented and, and fun. Hip Hop High uh, is one of my personal favorites just because I feel it's me attempting to strike out in an original way. Um, a, a lot of the way the song was constructed was built upon stuff that I'd kind of previously written but just didn't really pan out. Um, I actually, there is an, I, I guess you could say there's technically an alternate melody and alternate chords, um, but it never worked. It just didn't work. And one day, uh, when I first got Pro Tools and I was playing with uh, Reason, which is my sequencing software, I just happened upon a thing. And I started this little just this kind of like odd little thing, this little sequencing melody, and I started playing piano chords underneath it. And while I'm playing piano chords, I just put it on a loop. So I started looking through lyric sheets and looking through lyric sheets, and then I found my hip-hop high lyrics. So I just kind of started humming the melody, the old melody. It certainly didn't work. So I just looked at the words and came up with a new melody on the spot, and that's how it was written. And it just grew from there. I added the guitar parts later, put in the drum parts, and that's the, that's the piece that you hear now. Who's the female vocalist on Hip Hop High? Uh, live or in the studio? Uh, live. Live um, is actually the guitar player's wife. The guy, the, I, I have two guitar players live, and it's a guy named Gus Cesari and his wife, Amy. Um, she was in the crowd that night, and she's got a great voice, and I... What I do is I just hand the mic to her. So right after that second chorus, I literally just hand her the mic. She's still in the crowd, and then she just hands it back to me when I start out the song again. Inc so it's, it's, it's fun. Incredible. Well, for, for everybody that's listening now, we're going to go ahead and play the two songs. These are the world premiere songs of Forgive and Forget and Hip Hop High. Chance, thank you so much for being our guest on You Are the Guest, and I hope you've enjoyed today. Bill, I completely appreciate it, and uh, thank you for supporting my music and uh, for, for doing such a great thing that your podcast is doing. It's great. And if anybody wants to find out more about your music, how do they do so? Just go to MyNameIsChance.com, and, and um, yeah, just sign up to the email list there. You can uh, email me at Chance at MyNameIsChance.com. I'm a pretty personable uh, uh, artist, I would think. Uh, I, I like to communicate with my fans. I enjoy that kind of you know, rapport. Um, and I'm going to continue to do it as long as it's physically possible until, you know, basically I, I fall over from exhaustion, you know. It's great music. So here's a couple of treats for everybody. Forgive and Forget and Hip Hop High. From the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening. It's called Forgive and Forget.
You are the guest podcast in cooperation with countless other podcasters and internet radio stations around the globe. Bring to you, for the first time ever in the history of the world, a concert simulcast podcast featuring recorded live in Los Angeles, California, Chance and the Choir. Stay tuned to this broadcast for further instructions.